Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I want to try and move quickly through this uh, sermon. I've already been instructed by Brother Dennis that he can't handle much more than a snack today. Amen. <laughs> After all the filling that the Lord did to us over the weekend and gave us, and man, you know, the preacher yesterday morning preached on how that even when your cup is not running over, that it'll never fail, and there'll always be just enough. But can I tell you, mine's been running over these last few days, and the Lord has filled me up, and uh, I, I prayed this morning and asked God to, to fill me up in the preaching uh, I, I don't know what the Lord exactly is going to do with this, but I know it's what He wants me to give you, so hopefully it'll be a help to you this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, if you've got your Bible, why don't you st- uh, stand with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and verse number 1. We're going to read about 11 verses here. We'll stand together in honor of the Word of God. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, we could just settle in right there, and there's enough to preach on for an hour. But let's read on verse 2, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Amen. That He was buried... Amen. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Amen. Amen. That he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen above five hundred men at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, not, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it, be, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed." Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful, God, to be in your house this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for the sweet spirit moving in the church this morning through the singing, and God, through the praying, and everything, God, that we've experienced so far, God, how sweet you've been, and how thankful we are, God, that you would consider us, Lord, that you'd meet with us here and speak to us. And God, now I pray, if you would, for just a little bit, God, please fill me with your spirit as I try to preach this message. God, I pray... I know that I don't have in me the ability, Lord, to preach this the way that I know that it needs to be preached. As Paul said, Lord, I need that grace to be with me, God. I need you to fill me up and use me today, God, that we might hear your word, that we might be changed and moved thereby, Lord. Draw us close to you. Help me. I need you. I love you, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to kind of take you down through this passage. And point out some things that you've already heard and that you probably already know. Because that's what Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He talks about what happened last time he was with them and what he'd already preached and what they'd already heard, but he'd heard some things, and I won't get too much into the contextual facts of this chapter, how that Paul is coming to them with this particular passage to discuss the idea of the resurrection because these Christians at Greece had begun to believe false doctrine that the resurrection was not true. Even though Paul had preached to them about the resurrection and they'd been saved under the power of the gospel, he was dealing with this lie of the devil that was trying to permeate the church 
and to weaken the stance of the resurrection of Christ and of the dead, which he preaches on and teaches in 1 Thessalonians. How that the resurrection is so vital to salvation. But before he does that, first he is just going to talk about the gospel. We see in verse number 1 an evangelical message, which is the gospel, where he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. It's a powerful declaration, this evangelical message, and that powerful declaration is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think sometimes we hear that word used so often, and we talk about the Lord so much, and we're in church so much, that when someone approaches the idea or the account of the gospel, it just kind of washes over us. And maybe they were in a similar state of that church when Paul was writing to them at Corinth, but he said this, I want you to take a second, and I want you to think about the gospel. That powerful declaration, that good news to be declared, those good tidings of great joy that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to the earth and He became a man for you and for me. That account of the gospel is so powerful, it's so real, and it's so true that the Bible says that it is the power of God unto salvation. That the account of the gospel is the number one thing that we as Christians are meant to not only know and to believe, but that we would go into all the world, and the Bible says, preach the gospel unto every creature. The gospel. It's a powerful declaration. And we see his past declaration. He said, which I preached unto you. It's not a new message. It's not one that they never heard. It was not some new great truth of of, of the Word of God or of the law or of, of some new prophecy. He said, it's that same message I preached to you when I came the first time. It's that message that I stood and declared about the Son of God and how that He had came for our sins the first time that I preached unto you. It was one that He had preached. He hadn't sent someone else and He hadn't heard a story or an account that they'd heard the Gospel, but He had stood and He had preached it and they had received. He said, which also you'd received. That was their previous declaration. They declared after hearing the Gospel that they received it. That they believed it. This morning we sang... Two hymns, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Two songs about salvation, amen, about receiving the gospel and the, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and the blood of Christ washing us as white as snow. That is the same declaration that these people at Corinth had made. That when Paul gave them the gospel, declared through preaching the Word of God, that they then, they then declared to him that we receive it and we believe it. We see their persevering uh, declaration where he said, which also you received, and wherein ye stand. Those who are saved have only one thing in which they can stand, and that's the gospel. Amen. That is to say not only that they are saved by the gospel, but that their lives from that point forward are surrounded by and fulfilled in, and held up by the gospel. Amen. It is not our standards that keep us going, even though our standards are important. It is not all our great list of doctrines that keep us going, even though they are important. The thing that will keep us going when everything else is in question, and we're experiencing doubt, and we don't know where to turn, and we don't know what to do, the one thing that will absolutely, without question, never fail us is the gospel. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He came to this earth and that He died and was buried and resurrected. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said, only let, your only let your conversion be as it becometh the gospel, or conversation as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It is the gospel that helps us to stand. It is the gospel that unites us. It is a powerful declaration, and it is an evangelical message. Then we see an eternal modification in verse 2 where Paul said this, By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. Now, when I first come on this verse, I had a few minutes of 
of really trying to get the Lord to show me exactly what he's trying to say in this verse because Paul, as I said, is speaking to these Christians at Corinth who are struggling with doubt about the resurrection. And Paul is going to clarify that you cannot believe the gospel if you do not believe in the resurrection. Say amen. If Jesus did not resurrect, then he's no different from Buddha, Muhammad, or any other false god who ever lived and walked the earth, uh, any religion based on some false prophet or some false man. God, the Lord Jesus is no different from any of them if he didn't resurrect. But he did. Amen. He did. And because he did, he is God. Amen. We know that he's God because he said, I will, I'll get back, I'm going to get back up, boys. I'm going to lay this body down, and then I'm coming back for it. And guess what? He did. Amen. I want you to see the source of their change where it said, by which also ye are saved. I mentioned it, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. We know that the gospel, according to the Scriptures, is not just the story of Jesus. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. You don't got to have every verse of the Bible memorized to be saved. You don't have to be able to quote all the all Romans Road, and you don't got to be, you don't have to be able to sit down and take a Bible and show someone Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 10 and, and take them to the Gospels and, and give them all of these verses and everything. And it's good to do that if you've got time and someone wants to sit down and take them through what the Word of God says. But if you know this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came as a mortal man, that He died, was buried, and resurrected on the third day, and ever liveth to make intercession for us, then you've got the Gospel. And that is enough. Amen. It's enough. We see the source that are changed very simply is this. It's not just a belief that they have. Amen. There are a lot of people in our country, a lot of people in the world, who, who claim the name Christian. Whether they are uh, Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or, or whatever denomination or whatever faith, they all claim the name Christian. And in saying so, they say, I believe in this religion, in this faith, in this ideology, and that it is a belief that they have that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's a belief that they have. But not everyone who says, I believe, is saved. The only ones who are saved are the ones who have put their faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are plenty of theologians who believe that Jesus lived. There are plenty of historians who believe that Jesus lived but they don't believe the resurrection. They don't believe that He was truly God. Or they believe that Mary has co-redemptive power and she is equal with Christ in redeeming us of our sins. None of those things are the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that He came to this earth perfect, sinless, a man and God, lived, died, buried, and was resurrected for our sins. Amen. And that's the only thing that can save us. And when we are saved, we, it is not just a thought that we have or a belief that we have. You might believe that your football team is going to win it all this year, but that don't mean it's true. Amen. Some Alabama th teams, uh, fans thought they were never going to lose, and guess what? They did last night. Hallelujah. I don't really care about Alabama football, but I'm just saying, you can believe something. I mean, you can believe it. But that don't make it true. Just because you believe it don't make it true, but I can tell you this, the gospel's different. The gospel's so real and so powerful that if you believe it and you trust it and you give yourself to it, it will literally change you. Amen. It'll change you. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you act and walk. You know why? Because... The moment that you put your trust and faith in the gospel to save you, the Bible says you become a new creature. All things are new. That's what it is, right? Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. And that is the source of change. It is the gospel 
That is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. We see the state of their conversion. He said this, By which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now right here, he is addressing the elephant in the room. Some of y'all are going around saying the resurrection's not real. Some of y'all say, well, Jesus resurrected, but nobody else is going to. And some of y'all saying, nobody's ever resurrected, and the resurrection isn't true. And he said, if you believe what I preached, and you really got a conversion, you really did, then you'll keep it in memory. Amen. You'll keep it in memory. It wasn't just some man who came and preached the gospel. Like I said earlier, it was Paul himself. He was the one who was there. He preached the gospel. I have no doubt he probably sat down with some of them and talked to them about the gospel or got down maybe and prayed with some of them as they repented and turned to God. And he saw it when they said, I've received the gospel. He saw it when they said, I've been saved and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm a Christian. He was there and he saw it, but now he's hearing some reports of some who've abandoned the faith. And in their mind, they think, well, I still believe most of it. It's just this little matter of the resurrection. And here's what Paul said. You're saved by the gospel if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now, here's not what he's saying. If you forget any of this, you'll lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. You can't keep part of it and believe part of it and not believe all of it. He came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he resurrected. If you've got that and you kept that in your mind and you kept that in your heart, he said this. Those who are walking away from the truth of the gospel, I believe his concern is that their conversion was counterfeit. So, well, you know, he can't say that. Well, you know, he didn't specifically say that. Did he? But that don't mean it couldn't have been true. In fact, the Bible said in James chapter 2, verse 19, that the devils also believe and tremble. There are people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but have not put their trust and faith in the gospel, and they're not saved. It's not enough to say, yeah, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe He resurrected, and I don't believe that He was sinless, and I don't believe that, but I believe He was, he was, he was probably the Son of God, or he was, a, he was a good man, or He was a, a great prophet. None of those things will get you saved. None of those things are enough. None of those things have power of God in salvation. Only one thing does, and that is the gospel. And that's where he says that there's salvation. Sometimes there's salvation, we'll put in quotes, there's a salvation that is corrupt. He said this at the end of the verse, unless ye have believed in vain. Can I tell you, you cannot believe and put your faith and trust in the gospel in vain. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but some people believe without putting their trust. And some people believe in part, but not in whole. And they say, well, that, that, that makes sense. But they don't put their heart and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept Him as their Savior and give their hearts and lives to Him. There are some people who they've approached the cross and they've approached the gospel, but they're like Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 15 to those, uh, to those Pharisees. He said, Ye hypocrites, in verse 7, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me. Worship him. In vain. That word, that phrasing, in vain, it means it's fruitless and empty. Are you telling me you can worship God? With emptiness and fruitlessness? Oh, yes. Growing up, I always remember there was this one lady in our church. I don't know her name. Couldn't tell you her name. It's been many years since I saw her. She came every year on Easter. And that was it. She did not come to church any other time out of the year. Uh, she just really wasn't interested in church. But she would come on Easter. And every year... At Easter, when they would ask for testimonies, she would stand up and, I mean, shout and holler about how good God was and how glad she was to be saved. And from the outside, it looked like some pretty serious worship was going on. But I'm going to tell you, the rest of her life was full of sin, 
wickedness, degradation, death, and evil, one day out of the year she took a time, set it aside, and worshipped. Jesus said, there are some people, they draw nigh to me with their lips. They draw nigh to me with what they're saying. They honor me. They, they, they come to me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. And they worship me in vain. In vain. Paul was afraid there were some people in the congregation at Corinth who made a profession of faith, but they hadn't really put their trust in the gospel. So we want to take an opportunity to, to declare powerfully and specifically that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that anything else is counterfeit. Gill said this about this passage. He said, As the word may be heard in vain, as it is by such you are compared to the wayside and to the thorny and rocky ground in the parable of the sower, as the gospel of the grace of God may be received in vain, so a mere historical faith may be in vain. This is a man, this a man may have, and not the grace of God, and so be nothing. With this he may believe for a while, and then drop it. With a historical faith. Oh, I believe Jesus was alive, and I believe Jesus did a lot of powerful things, and and I agree with most of his teachings, right? He, he seemed to be a peaceable man and a, and a graceful man. And, and I agree with a lot of what he said. And I don't necessarily believe all the Bible, but I, I like a lot of what Jesus said. And, and I think it's good. And yeah, I believe in Jesus. That's just a historical faith. That's just a, a trust that you believe something happened. That's not putting your life, your faith, your body, your spirit, and your soul into the hands of the Son of God. Oh, that's different. That's not, a, that's not something you just think or something you just believe. It, it's a conversion. It's a transformation. That's the gospel. Verse number 3, he says this. We see an experienced movement where he said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also had received. He just wanted them to know up front, I'm not selling something I have not tried for myself. Amen? I'm not here giving you a spiel that I learned in, in, in salesman class or whatever when the truth is I don't know anything about this and I don't really care. I'm just trying to get you to buy in or something like that. He's not a salesman. No, he was just a sinner saved by grace who met the Lord and when he experienced Christ for himself, it changed him. When the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, experienced the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he persecuted for himself, it changed him. It was an experienced movement that took him from being one who had historical faith to one who had true transformative faith. Saul grew up in a God-fearing Jewish home. He grew up under the tutelage of men like Gamaliel, and he was considered the up and rising star of the Jewish faith, probably destined to one day be the high priest of all the Jewish faith. And he walked away from every bit of that, all the clout, guess what, money? Oh yes. The power? You better believe he had power. When he walked into a city, everybody knew it. And everybody who was on his side loved him, and everybody who wasn't feared for their lives. And guess what? Suddenly, he's a missionary in prisons, preaching the gospel of Christ in the same uh, synagogues where he once just talked about how that these Christians were zealots and liars. He now said, oh, but, but I met him. <laughs> I met him for myself. And when I did, that gospel that I'd heard, oh, it was not words then. It became power. Power like a light shining down out of heaven. Amen. Power that did a, such a change in him that he went from being their persecutor to being probably the greatest Christian who ever lived outside of maybe Jesus and John the Baptist. I mean, a great man of God. And how did that happen? The gospel. The gospel changed him. It's not just something he'd heard or read about. He experienced it firsthand. He said, I brought it to you, that which also I received. 
Then we see the, the exalted Messiah. And I'm, I've taken too long to get here. I want you to turn with me. We're going to read a couple verses here. Here's what he says. Let me read you this first from our passage. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. First, we see as Paul is defining, definitively defining the Gospel, he speaks first concerning our Lord's horrific death. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, Isaiah penned these words predicting and prophesying the death of our Lord, not really understanding what was coming. When he said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Matthew chapter 27. As Judas has betrayed the Lord, and he has come before Pilate. And Pilate has tried again and again to get the Jewish folk to let him go they have finally cried out, let His blood be on us and on our children, in verse 25. In verse 26 of Matthew chapter 27, He released Barabbas to them. And when He had scourged Jesus, He delivered Him to be crucified. Read with me how the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, gathered him unto Him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped Him put on him a scarlet robe, and when they plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. How did they do that? I couldn't do that. I don't think I could do that to a guilty man. But they took the precious Son of God who healed their sick. Amen? Who fed their hungry. Raised their dead. Caused their blind to see and their dumb to speak. Their lame to walk and their leper to be clean. And they spit on him. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, naked. They put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, it's a place of death, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had, drunk, when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him. Parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they, uh, did they cast Lots, and sitting down, they watched him there. And they said over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. And they, they, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And as they spoke those words, I wonder if the Lord Jesus thought as a lamb, to the slaughter as a sheep before her shearers, so he openeth not his mouth. Say, so, well, Jesus did speak when he was on the cross. Yeah, he did. He said a few things. But he never said, let me go. I didn't do this. 
don't do this, stop, that's enough. Preacher this weekend said that, that he endured the cross, even the death of the cross, and all the way there, the scourging, the mocking, the spitting, the crown of thorns, the beating, the laughing, the wagging of their heads, the sign over the cross, and all the things they did, betting and casting lots over His garments, and making a joke and a mockery of the Son of God, not once did He ever one time look down and say, that's enough. And neither did God the Father, who looked down on the earth and saw His only begotten Son. Can I say one strike on the face of my Son, and I'd say that's enough. One strike across the back of my daughter, and I'd say that's enough. But the God of heaven, because sin, your sin, my sin, that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin. And as they smacked His face, the Bible says they pulled the hair from His face and spit on Him and beat Him and mocked Him. Didn't say a word. Why are, we, why are you saying all this? Why are we doing all this? This is the gospel. It is not just He died. It would have been so much easier if He could have just died. But he had to endure the cross. Endure the cross. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I'm the Son of God. And the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land into the ninth hour. Hours. Hours and hours on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's been said that God had to turn away. When Jesus spoke of God, He always used the word Father. My Father. I and my Father are, are one. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I have come to do the will of my Father. Because He was not just God. He was His Father. Right here, in the darkest moment of His entire life, He says, my God. Why? Because God cannot endure sin. God cannot endure sin. And in that moment, I believe, when the darkness covered the face of the earth, the light of God went out. I don't believe it was a cloud. I don't believe it was an eclipse. I believe God turned the light out on the earth for hours as He turned away because He could not bear to look on His Son because His Son was sin. That's what the Bible says. That God hath made Him to be sin for us. He did not just take on our sin, He became sin. And then when He died, that was the death of sin. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man called for Elias, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with vinegar, and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus. When he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And now when the centurion that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. John 19.30 said, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It 
is finished. That was his horrific death. We see his honorable burial. That's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is this, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried. That's His honorable burial. Honorable in all, a perfect, sinless Lamb who never did a thing wrong, never deserved a single thing He received, but He did it for our sake, and He did it in our place, and after that awful and horrific death, He received an honorable burial. In verse 57 of Matthew 27, when even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And Pilate commanded the body to be delivered, and when, uh, when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd hewn out in the rock and laid a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. Verse 62, the next day they followed the day of the preparation. The chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir... We remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, and make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. They buried him. Even when he was dead, they were still scared of him. I bet that victory was so short-lived. And then someone said, wait a second. Didn't he say something about resurrecting on the third day? Yeah, but, I mean, that's, that's not going to happen, right? Well, he, they say he raised Lazarus from the dead. They say he raised that boy from the dead. They say he made that blind man see. They say, they say a lot of things. Well, we should probably set a guard. And we'll tell them, you know, the disciples may try to take him. And, but in their hearts, you know what? They weren't worried about those disciples. They are worried about the power of God. They are worried that, what if he does? You know, he, what if he does? Well, we'll set a guard. I don't know what they thought they were going to accomplish. But I can tell you this, his burial was short-lived. And three days later, there was no amount of soldiers they could put outside there was no amount of seal they could put on that stone. There was nothing they could do that could stop the Son of God from waking up. Because not only did He suffer a horrific death, and not only did He have an honorable burial, because can I tell you, those things could be accomplished by any man. I could suffer a horrific death and receive an honorable burial. You could suffer a horrific death and receive an honorable burial. But hallelujah, he arose. He did not just get buried, but three days later, suddenly something supernatural took place. That those guards outside watching in the next chapter, the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the sepulcher, and behold, there was a great earthquake. I wonder how many guards it would have taken to stop that earthquake. I don't know if they had concrete or, or, or you know, uh, Gorilla Glue or whatever, but I can tell you whatever they used to seal that stone, maybe they just kept stacking stones. Maybe for three days they're just stacking stones and stacking stones. All it took is one little shake. Oh, and that stone ain't doing no good anymore. The great earthquake comes, the earth is shaken, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I like that part. I like that part where he sits down on it. He don't walk down there and flex, pull a sword. He just rolls the stone and sits down. He don't really have any work to do. He's just here to send a message. He's just an angel. He's just a messenger. He's not here to bring the wrath of God down on the enemies of Jesus. He's just here to open the door. Sits down on that rock. I, I almost imagine him crossing his legs, I don't know. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. He didn't even do anything. He's just sitting on the stone, and he's real bright. That's it. 
And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. There's no bones. There's no grave with a dead man in it. Why? For he's risen. He, he, he's not here. He's risen. Oh, he's gone. He'll be around. He's about the Lord's business now. He's about his father's business. And oh, he's going to come see you, but he's not here. There's no reason to come mourning. Don't bring flowers. Don't do. I was reading recently uh, an article about some historical record of Jesus Christ and how that historians believe that he exists. Whoop de doo for them. They said one of the biggest arguments against Jesus is that there's no archaeological record of him. That's because he never, he, he's got no bones here. There's no grave with the bones and DNA of a dead Jesus because he got up three days later and walked out with all his bones, all his skin, and all of his glory. And there he is, risen and living forever and ever. That is the gospel. You can't have the gospel without the resurrection. You can't have salvation without the resurrection. Otherwise, you've just got a dead man. But we don't. We serve a risen Savior. We see the evidence is mentioned, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, he names all those who saw him, Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he was seen of 500 brethren at once. Many of them at that time were still alive. Some had, had fallen asleep. He said, and afterward, he's seen of James. That's his brother, Jesus, the brother of Jesus. And then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. All those evidences of hundreds of people seeing him. Then we see there's an equality that's missing. Verse 9. Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I, he said, I am an apostle. I, I'm the least of them. I'm not worthy to be called one. Because I persecuted the church of God. Those followers of Jesus, I hated them. I pursued them. I think it haunted Paul, the memories of standing there beside as they stoned and fell on Stephen and bit him, gnashed him with their teeth and he held their coats while they murdered that saint of God. Every time he felt a blessing from God, I'd say that the devil would often try and discourage him with thoughts of that. But I'll tell you what, he did have a proper understanding. Because when someone begins to reflect on the gospel, the one thing it should always do is make us realize we don't deserve anything. Paul had to have recognized and associated himself with those Roman soldiers, with those Pharisees who stood by mocking him for who he said he was. I bet he'd even said things like that. If he had really been the Son of God, he would have saved himself. He said he could save others, but he never did save himself. I bet Paul said mocking things about the Lord before Acts chapter 9, back when he was Saul. He obviously believed it quite strongly if he was going to be partaker in the murder of Christians. And he said, y'all think of me and you think of the apostles and y'all put me on their level, but I'm not. I'm the least. I'm an apostle out of due time. God put me in this ministry and God brought me into it, but I want y'all to know something. I'm the least. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be a preacher. I don't deserve to be an apostle. I don't deserve to be a Christian. I don't deserve the gospel and the salvation. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's our existence merited 
It's not by any works of righteousness which I have done. That's what those Pharisees were all about, man. Oh, look, look how good we are. Look how holy we are. Look all the scripture that we know. And look at, look at all the things we, we, we teach in the temples and we, we perform the sacrifices and look at our ephods and look at our, our garments and, and look, at, look at all our holiness. And they bore it like a badge of honor, like a, like a big shining trophy of their self-worth. And Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, said, I shouldn't even be named among y'all. I'm low. I'm lowly. I'm the chief of sinners. And we hear that and we think, oh, Paul, yeah, you're the chief of sinners, all right. Man, if you're the chief of sinners, what am I? But I can honestly tell you right now, as far as I know, I've never taken part in the murder of anybody, much less because they were a Christian. When Paul said, I'm a chief of sinners, he was not showboating. He was not just talking. He believed that. He believed until the day he died that he had no right to be where he was. And can I tell you something? He didn't. The only reason that Paul was who he was is because of the grace of God. The grace of God has worked in us to make us what we are. I'm a preacher, a Christian, a husband, and a father because of the grace of God. Because of the gospel. Because of the grace of God and because of the glorious gospel. I have joy because of the grace of God and the glorious gospel. I have peace because of the grace of God and the glorious gospel. That when things are hard and dark, I can have joy that even in the valley, God is good. Why? Because of grace and the glorious gospel. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. It's not because I'm good. And it's not because I'm smart. And it's not because I'm strong. And it's not because I'm wealthy. And it's not because I have some talent or something to offer God, Paul said. It's not any of those things. None of those things are true about me. The only thing that's true is this. I am what I am by the grace of of God. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. <clears throat> Have you received the grace of God? I'm, I'm, I'm closing it out here. I know I've already been a while. Have you received the grace of God? Now, we've all received grace, whether we, want, whether we know it and admit it or not. But have you received the glorious gospel? You. Not your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your children. You. Have you received the glorious gospel? Not with a historical belief. Not with a tangential faith of, well, I grew up in church, or, well, I've been around. No, have you had a personal moment of conversion? Paul was, a, was the best example of a grown-up in church type of guy you could ever have. But it wasn't until he was on that road to Damascus and that bright light shined out of heaven and Jesus spoke to him with an audible voice in his ears. And that moment of conversion when Paul came face to face with the gospel and had to make a choice. Have you? Can you, can you tell me a, a day? Maybe you don't know the exact day or the exact time or the exact moment, but can you describe the moment that you got saved? I can tell you mine was in March of 95, but I can't tell you what day it was of the week. I can't tell you what the date was. I think it was a Tuesday, but I don't really know. I can't tell you what time it was, but I can tell you about when I got saved. I can tell you about how that God struck my heart with such a conviction that I thought, if I don't get saved tonight, I'm, I'm going to die before the day's over. I'll not make it home. As an eight-year-old boy, and guess what? I didn't think about death as an eight-year-old boy. 
The only thing that could do that was the power of the Holy Spirit convicting my heart in the glorious gospel. And that night I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh yeah, I've, I've mucked it up and messed it up. but He's never, ever, ever failed me. And that gospel, I've got the same gospel today that I had all those years ago. I've got the same salvation now that I did as an 8-year-old boy, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 35, and all the way until one moment and one day when I draw my final breath, I'll have the same salvation in the same gospel. And when I stand before God and I give an account, I will not say, Lord, I tried to do good and I hope I did good enough. I'll say the only thing I've got is I've come by the way of the cross. What about you? Well, yeah, no, I did this, right? Or that. No, no, no. Have you, have you personally had a conversion in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that He lived, that He died, that He was buried, and that He resurrected on the third day? <clears throat> there will be no free passes in heaven. There's only one pass. Salvation. Well, you didn't understand, or well, you kind of thought, and well, you, you sort of believed, and well, no, no, no. You have either accepted and received the gospel, or you have not. And if you have not truly accepted and received the gospel, as he said in verse number two, you believed in vain. You believed in vain. You can go confess to every priest on the face of the planet and even have dinner with the Pope. But if you don't have your faith in the gospel, you will not go to heaven. You can, read every, you can read every religious text that there is. You can meditate. and You can scourge yourself. And you can do everything in your power. There is nothing you can do that will produce salvation in you. The only thing that will save us is a true conversion and belief and trust and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. I'll read you these verses and we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ, or as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's stand. Miss Brandy, if you wouldn't mind. Looking around the building this morning, I see a lot of folk who I believe are saved. So, Brother Paul, I can tell you the, I can't tell you every detail, but man, I can tell you about the moment that the Holy Spirit came into my heart that I was truly saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You put your faith in that. As Paul said, that that gospel, that's wherein we stand. You can hold on to that. Man, when the devil comes at you with doubt, and you have fears, and you've got concerns, if you've put your faith in the gospel, and you know you have, you can stand in that. Remember that, and stand in that, because it's the gospel that's the power of God and salvation. But you know what Paul said? Paul said, I'm the least of all these apostles. He said, because of that, I've labored more than any of them. Why did he do that? Because he felt that because God had been so good to him when he was so undeserving, he ought to do that much more for God while he drew breath. And I, I dare say no one's done more for the cause of Christ than the apostle Paul did after the Lord died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. What a, what a force for God. And why? Because after receiving the gospel, he realized something. 
man, if I've been saved, and I have the gospel, I need to give all I have to God. Have you done that? But Paul, I know I'm saved. Have you given all to God? Have you? I don't want to go to heaven one day and God say, you gave me some of it. You did okay, I guess. No, I want him to say, good, faithful. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God that it's real. Thank God that it's true. Thank God that I know. That's what John wrote in 1 John. He said that you might know. I know. Do you know this morning? I hope that you do. But let me tell you this. If you're, if you're unsure, well, I believe, but I don't really know if I've ever been what you're talking about. Saved. New creature. I don't know. You can know. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's calling to you this morning. Will you come? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel. God, when I consider the cross and all that you endured, God, the songs have said that when you were on the cross, we were on your mind. God, I don't know if you thought of me specifically in those moments, but I can tell you this. I was not worth what you endured. God, I know the Bible says here in His love, not that we have loved God, but that you loved us. And I know that's true because I'm unlovable. God, I know that's true because I, like Paul, am a chief of sinners. God, I know that's true because in spite of the fact that as an eight-year-old boy I got saved, God, I've failed you so many times. Lord, I've, I've strayed, I've sinned, and God, I've, I've walked the wrong way, and God, I've done the wrong things. And Lord, all those times, as the Bible speaks, I've trodden underfoot the grace of God. God, it is by your grace that I am what I am today. It's by your grace that you've made me the pastor of this church. It's by your grace that you've brought all of us here together today, God, to, to reflect on your word and reflect on the gospel. God, how, how powerful, Lord, and how true and how pure and good that word is in the gospel. God, I pray this morning. Those of us who are saved, God, I pray, help us to keep the gospel in our hearts today. Help us, God, to observe it to consider it. God, to share it. Help us to fulfill that great commission to go forward and to keep in memory the things which we've heard as you said there. God, that we might go forth into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.